Everyone remembers that horrible sinking feeling. The first time they were handed a report card with, uh, let's say, less than stellar grades on it. Maybe you were too busy drawing or reading or being otherwise distracted to engage with the founding of Seattle. Maybe you were allergic to anatomical diagrams of frogs. Or maybe long division just really isn't your thing, okay, Mr. Pacelli? Anyway. In this episode of the 21st Century Classroom, resident stats guru Mark Olofsson and I look at a recent study by the Foundation for Excellence in Education that gave our beloved home state of Vermont a D- in digital learning. A D minus. Ouch. Mark, we got a D minus in 2014. Vermont as a state got a D minus in EdTech. How did this happen? Ds are not passing and D minuses, that's so close to an F. So close to an F. Well, I mean, because it doesn't feel like we should have a D minus. It doesn't, I don't feel that we're D minus material. Yeah. I think it's important for us to look at what they did say about Vermont. Um, and so these rankings are based on 10 different criteria. Student eligibility, student access, personalized learning, advancement, quality content, quality instruction, quality choices, assessment and accountability, funding, and delivery. And I believe it was in the one of these articles they did mention that the quality content is pretty across the board, there is quality content available, which is definitely good to see. And that also there's a lot of high quality instruction. And so those are places that, you know, across the nation and also here in Vermont, we can point to and say, yes, there is quality uh, digital content out there for our students. The most surprising thing, and I'll just say it, the, the most surprising thing that I saw was that in the category of personalized learning, we got an F. Yeah, that's, the, well, okay, is it that surprising, considering that we, we have had, oh, we have to have had a whole mandate to get us towards personalized learning. Were we in so far behind in personalized learning that that was what spurred Act 77 and the personalized learning plan mandate? A little background here. In 2013, the Vermont legislature passed the quote-unquote Flexible Pathways Act, also known as Act 77. It mandates that every student in Vermont in grades 7 through 12 will have personal learning plans in place by fall of 2015. All of them. By fall of 2015 which is uh, now. I don't feel that we were really that far behind. In fact, I think that you'll, you'll see a lot of people point to Act 77 as being out in front of the field around personalized learning. Um, and so this, like so many other pieces, it's really important that you drill down and take a look at what they're actually measuring. You know, uh, thinking about as anytime you give an assessment, it can be tempting to just look at the final grade. Um, but it's important not only to look at different subscales, but also to look at what these different measures are actually measuring. So I, I'd like to dive in a little bit and click through and see what are these things, you know, it's easy to say student eligibility, but what does that mean to the people who are creating the measure? This hangs its hat on three criteria that uh, all students must be provided opportunities to access online courses and services throughout their entire K-12 experience. That's their entire K-12 experience. Vermont got something like a 25% on that. That means that there are times 
in a student's experience, uh, K-12 experience that they don't have access to online courses. And that's an area of growth, but it's also a very particular metric that's being measured. Under the student access course, and we got a zero on this, was that all students may enroll in an unlimited number of part-time individual online courses. Now, that's not a question of digital access, that's an attitude on a district by district and a statewide basis, right? And so this is a criteria that is, we may not align values-wise or the way that we think that education should be done, digital education should be done, with the criteria. And so this foundation is making choices on, or is creating criteria based on their values if our values don't align, we're not going to score highly, right? Right, right. Um, and if the way that we conceptualize of what is the best place for leveraging technology in education, we may not be aligned with what they think. Um, another great example of this is under the advancement, and Vermont gets a zero on this, one of their, their criteria is that all students are provided multiple opportunities during the year to take end-of-course exams. Mm-hmm. That is a very large pedagogical statement. That is, I mean, it's very much standards-based, but it's saying that for, in order to score highly on this metric, we would provide students, all students, chances to essentially test out of courses throughout the course of the year. Mm -hmm. And that's for a lot of folks in education that's saying that only the content matters and it's not about the learning the experience of the learning and it's not about the experience of the class and it's not about constructing meaning with your peers it's just about can you finish a test and so it's a very value laden criteria to toss in there to say that you know in order to achieve highly on this measure you have to provide students opportunities to test out courses and we may not want to do that. So that, that's why I think it's important to, to drill down and really see what metrics like this that are easy to create headlines are all about. I mean, if we look at the quality content measure, here Vermont gets A's all the way around. You know, our stuff is aligned, our, the digital content provided is aligned with our state standards. Um, there's no, it, it's not hard to get digital content through um, into being approved. Um, and that, you know, materials are funded. Same thing with our instruction being of high quality. You know, these are, these are places where we high, have high measures. Hear that, Vermont? Even with a D minus overall, we still scored really, really highly on the quality of our educators. Give yourselves a pat on the back, you amazing educators, you. But then when we go down to quality choices, it... One of the metrics is that there are full-time online schools, and we don't have full-time online schools. But I'm trying to I'm trying to envision how you know looking at how school change occurs. I'm trying to envision how you take a traditional one-room school or a traditional uh, quote-unquote metropolitan school, like in the Burlington area, and explain to the community that you would like them to ratify a budget for having the school be entirely online, yeah. right? What, is that, what does that conversation look like? And is that a conversation that you can conceive of going in a productive manner in most of Vermont? Well, that's interesting because when we think about 
you know, should that be something contained at a supervisory union or a school district level? Think about the amount of investment that has to go in to make an online learning program viable. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for just one district, one supervisory union to take that on. And so that's why we start to see these statewide initiatives. Why we do see some digital programs stretch across the state. But then that gets to be very difficult when it comes time to say who pays for what. So it's a really setting up, you know, online schools is very, very difficult. In Vermont, we don't have charter schools. In a lot of states, they take a charter school approach to setting up an online school. Because, and it, you know, thinking about it, it, it makes sense because charter schools should be open to anyone in the state. And so if you're getting funding to based on, you know, the kids that are going to sign on and take these online courses, that, that would then be a statewide initiative, mm-hmm. right? Um, the state of Vermont, we don't have that set up. You think of all of the valuable lessons that student can get from hands-on learning. You know, you one one uh, example that springs to mind is you know our partners at the Cabot School. You know, packed up all of their students and took them to um, the Flume Gorge in Franconia, New Hampshire, and they all you know had their iPads and they were all you know in the moment recording their reactions to the Flume Gorge. And many of the students had never seen you know this this park before. And you know they were their their teachers had created a, an entire scavenger hunt with QR codes like through the park based on you know learning more facts. And that was for them really hands on, just in terms of going through the experience and then having the freedom to come back and make something, you know, with their classmates in the classroom setting with the teacher's, you know, guidance and and support. And how does that translate, how would that experience have translated to 100% online school? And I, I don't think that it can translate to 100% online school. And what, what we're chiseling away at here is really what is, what's the purpose of school? What's the purpose of having, you know, a place, a building where students from an area congregate and where teachers and students do education together? So if, our, if the point of school is simply to learn a bunch of stuff and be able to report out that you learned a whole bunch of stuff, then the fully digital model, it makes sense. We can conceptualize of what that would look like, you know? through videos and text and audio and practice and drill and all of these different things, students can learn skills, they can acquire, they can, you know, acquire knowledge. There, we're, what we're thinking about is, you know, a student, this very simplistic model of a student being a bucket and then you pour stuff into the bucket and then there's stuff in the bucket, right? And mm-hmm. you can walk around with the bucket. But if we think about schooling, and I think that we do, Think about education in a much more broad manner where it's important to be having those discussions, those free-form discussions between students and with teachers to really explore interests and to develop your own meaning behind, you know, the gorge, right? Mm-hmm. Because what that, that gives the students the opportunity to make sense of it instead of, quote-unquote, learning it, they're making sense of it. And I think that that's, 
the purpose of education, especially in our world now, and I know that that's, you know, the sort of thing that gets tossed around all the time, but it's about understanding problems. It's about critical thinking. It's about innovation. It's about all of these things that can't just be tra uh, transmitted and, you know, regurgitated. And so I, I, I balk at the idea of, you know, a fully online school. I think that for, there are certain places where um, an online course makes sense. When that comes up as a metric, it, I do hesitate to say, oh, oh, it's bad that we're not at 100% there. Mm. Um, it just means that we're, you know, that's not in alignment with what we see as the best way of doing teaching and learning. It also then tells us that the folks who are scoring really highly, you know, different states and you know, although we're technically in the same country, I think that Florida and Vermont cultures are quite a bit different, right? Correct. And although there is a lot of rural culture in Florida, and too often we ignore that. In, if in Florida it makes sense for them, you know, infrastructure-wise and uh, being able to meet, you know, the needs of all these students, folks all the way out in the Everglades, they need to have a statewide online school available, then more power to them. And then they are going to score high on that metric. And that's great. It's just important that, you know, we're able to parse out and say, okay, so is that in alignment with, with our values? Does it make sense? And also, is it in alignment with our legislation? Another piece here on the, like, on the assessment and accountability is that if poor performing providers of digital content should be not renewed or lose their ability to serve students. Well, first, we don't really have these statewide uh, digital providers, but even if we did, I think that we're going to find that we would work with them to kind of make them better versus an accountability structure that, um, you know, if you don't perform, we shut you down. Um, we don't have that, we don't have that culture with our schools. We don't, if, you know, if, if... If you get an F, you don't get asked to leave. Exactly, it's right? like, how can we help you? How can we bring you up to, to exactly. speed and get you involved? What can we do? What else can we offer? How can we work with you, you know? I mean, for crying out loud, if, and, and we have this very deep in our culture coming from what the AOE and Rebecca Holcomb issued about um, the SBAC testing, um, that we're going to use this as a measure, not as the measure, right? Mm -hmm. And as we continue to learn about, you know, this test and experiment with it, it's not going to be the end all be all of how we rate kids, of how we rate teachers, and of how we rate schools. We understand that there's a lot more intricacies to the, you know, the doing of education. Um, and they can't just be measured on one test. And that's very much in our educational culture in Vermont. We understand that there's a lot of moving pieces. So there you have it. As Mark Twain might have put it, were he a Vermonter and perhaps while leading a Nearpod exercise on how far frogs jump, Rumors of Vermont's schooling's demise have been vastly exaggerated. This Foundation for Excellence in Education study is a measure of educational technology, but it's far from being the only measure of quality. This has been an episode of the 21st Century Classroom, podcast of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education. Check us out online at blog.tarrantinstitute.org. Thank you to resident stats guru and all-around smart guy Mark Olofsson for digging through the lies, lies, and darn statistics for this episode. And, uh, by the way, 
The story of the founding of Seattle is actually pretty darn interesting. And what the textbooks like to leave out are all the good parts, like mud, cholera, infidelity, and exploding toilets. Google it.